Hello, and welcome to the Money Mammoth Podcast, where we'll explore your personal relationship with money and help you develop a mindset to lead a stress-free financial life. I am your host and co-author of the book, Money Mammoth, Dr. Ed Horowitz. This podcast is dedicated to helping you figure it all out and finally get to your financial happy place, free from money, stress, worry, and fighting. Let's begin. Joining me today is the Executive Director of the Financial Hope Collaborative, Julie Kalkowski. Julie and I know each other from our work at Creighton University, having started our own programs. And I really wanted to have Julie join us today because of the amazing work that she is doing with the Financial Hope Collaborative. But I'll let her tell the story. So welcome, Julie. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks, Ed. So I thought we'd start off by uh, telling our listeners a little bit about your story and how you got to be working where you are today. Sure. Briefly, because I'm old, you don't want to go through decades here. Um, I am a social worker by trade, but I've always dealt with money. So all the, the, the people I've dealt with have been from low-income communities, and money has always been the primary problem and the primary issue that makes so many parts of their life worse, their health worse job opportunities. It just limits a lot of things when you don't have enough money. So it's trying to think about what to do. And I kept being pushed by people to do financial education because I was had developed some other innovative programs like this is a woman who delivers. Let's have her do financial education. And I'm like, no, not doing it. They've been doing this was back in like the mid 2000s. Like, no, you know, they've been doing financial education since the late 70s. It doesn't change behavior. I'm too old to get into something that doesn't change people's behavior. So, you know, I'm going to go after something else. So they said, well, um, we really think that this could happen. And probably some of your listeners out there know about FINRA. And so they came to me and they said, look, you've got this great reputation. Would you do a financial education program for single moms. And I'm like, uh, well, uh, yeah, I, I guess so. I'm going to get into that. And I had been doing workplace financial education at United Way. So I thought, you know, it's not going to be that different. But we're going to have to tweak it. So when you say tweak it, tell us what those early programs look like. The first year that we'd done workplace financial education, I really was anxious about it because it was kind of on my head. I'd been called in by the CEO from United Way and said, I hear you have a for-profit provider delivering workplace financial education. I just want you to know if anything goes south, it's on you. It's you will be thrown under the bus and you will lose your job and publicly humiliated. Um, so, but if it works, we'll take the credit. So it's like, okay, then uh, let's go do this thing. So I was a little bit anxious that full year because I'm the primary breadwinner. And then I went back a year later and this woman yells, Julie, Julie Kalkowski. And I go in and this woman is just running towards me. And I, and I have no idea who this woman is. And she grabs me and she's hugging the stuffing out of me. And I'm thinking, oh God, please help me remember her name. I mean, she's so happy to see me. And you just feel like crap if you can't remember somebody's name who's so delighted to see you. And I said, well, well, how, how is everything? She's like, oh my God, I just got a promotion. And she said, and it's my second one since I started the program. So I knew she was in our program. So I'm like, well, that is fabulous news. You know, how are things at home? And she said, hey. You know, my son's never going to be a straight A student, but guess what? I haven't been called to the principal's office. And I said, and your hubby? And she said, well, you know, before before your program, the only time we, we spoke is when we fought about money. And we were both so miserable. But she said, now it's like our second honeymoon. She said, we're saving money. We're paying down debt. Now we still have 17 more months to go on our plan. But 
we're not stressed out of our minds all the time about money. And it's just so exciting. And so I was like, this is great. And I'm so happy for you and blah, 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 blah. And she says, and you have no idea who I am. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm getting old. And she said, Julie, I'm Angie. And my jaw just dropped because I was like, oh my God. And she said, yeah, and I've lost 40 pounds. I said, that's why I didn't recognize you. Yeah, she said, I'm off my, I'm no longer pre-diabetic. I'm off my blood pressure medication. I was like, and I said, so I'm thinking, okay, things are much better at home. She's lost weight. She's gotten promotions. She's on track. I mean, this is like the trifecta. I mean, this is what really good financial education can do. So I'm like, I want some of that. So when United Way Worldwide came to me and said, we've got this money, we'd like you to develop a program for single moms. I was like, we're going to use the model we used at workplace finance education and then just see we're going to have to tweak it because single moms, more of them were living paycheck to paycheck. But we thought we could figure out a pretty good plan. And actually, we've got a great model. Ed. We kind of came to the same conclusion about financial education. You and I had met at Creighton, you know, well over 10 years ago when we were kind of discussing our views on that and, and looking for that, you know, what is it then if it's not a lack of education, clearly there's something going on with the behavioral side. And I think your your work, you know, and the, and the research you've been doing, I think is fascinating how you're linking together this concept between the financial burdens on our emotion, our lifestyle, and the stressors that it, it creates, how fixing the financial side could also impact the overall wellness of an individual. Now, you talked a little bit about it in your story. Tell us more about the research work you're doing at the Financial Hope Collaborative. Sure. Um, it all kind of is my daughter Emma's fault that we're doing this medical research because I would walk into Walgreens and um, Target several, you know, after the program and going a couple of years, Ed, and these people would come up and they'd say, you know, um, I have to say, I took your program because I wanted my kid's life to be better. I never thought my life would be better, but why didn't you tell me that my life would get so much better? And then they'd go on to tell me, yeah, they were going back to school. They had gotten promotions. They um, were making more money than they ever thought. In fact, I'd gone back to one woman and I said to her, Hey, I'd really, you would be our great poster child. Cause she has now a really big job at UP. And she said, look, I have a lot of authority at UP and I know she's making like three times what I'm making, Ed. And she said, if I tell my story, I think I, people might lose some respect for me. And I, I can't kind of jeopardize. And I understand that because, you know, it's, it's a tough world out there. So anyway, um, so what we found when I would go into these places and my daughter after a while would start saying, you know, and she was 14 and, you know, she's your mother, right? And she's like, mom, you're really a fraud. And I'm like, what? And she says, mom, you're acting like you're so happy to see these women and you're so excited about their how well their life is going and you don't even know their names. And I'm like, honey, you're right. But again, I'm old. I'm using the old defense. I know a lot. Um, but she's, and I said, but honey, you know, a lot of these women look so much better. I probably don't recognize them. Because, you know, when you're stressed, all of us know how we get that look. You know, we get really tensed up and, you know, it just, it's not pretty. Um, and so, I just, so I was telling a friend of mine who's a public health nurse and she said, oh my God, don't you remember the first when you were out of grad school, you're working with those seven women that were transitioning from welfare to work. And I remember you coming to my office and just sobbing because you had just found out the third woman from that group had died before she was 53. And she said, stress kills people and, you know, unmitigated financial stress 
leads to chronic health problems. So she said, what you're doing, Julie, is you're going to delay the onset of chronic diseases for a lot of these poor single mothers. Many of them were women of color. And so she said, this is going to be a game changer. And so I um, talked to Kate Martin Strickland, who runs uh, some, does a lot of the service learning work over for the medical departments. And what she said is that they were looking for projects. So she called together some faculties from those departments of OT, nursing, pharmacy, and PT. And we met and I told them about how I don't recognize these women because they're not stressed out of their minds anymore. And they're like, oh, let's do a small study. So we did a small sample size ed back from a 2011 to 2014. And that led to us finding out after two years that there was an um, average $8,000 increase in their salary. So they went from about 22 grand to 30 grand after two years, which is very, very significant. Um, and that they were exercising more. And I remember this one woman turning to me and she says, I hate you. She said, <laughs> We, do you know how long the, the health industry has tried to get people to eat right and to, to exercise more? And, and you do a stupid financial education program and, it, and it, it makes them exercise more and be healthier. She's like, this isn't right. And I'm like, but it does. If you can get your finances under control, if you feel like the wolves aren't at the door all the time, you've got some money in savings, Ed, your whole life is better. And we know in Omaha, Ed, that your credit score de determines where you live and where you work. And so a lot of these women are working on their credit score and they're being able to work in different places and they're being able to buy rent apartments in different, better places, safer places, cleaner places, places that don't have you know lead paint. So it's just one of those things where it seemed like just doing financial education. If, Ed, if you would have told me when we met over 10 years ago, that this would lead to better health outcomes, it would lead to better careers, it would lead to social mobility, it'd lead to kids doing better. I, I would have laughed. I was like, yeah, right. And uh, you got me some swampland there in Florida you can sell me. So I just think it's just for me, I've been stunned at how effective this program is in addressing so many social problems. You know, we see what's going on in the world every day. And the average American, I think, would look at the situation and say, you know, what we're seeing happening, you know, especially in our inner cities and, and providing the opportunities, it's not right. But right. everything we look at in terms of fixing things, you know, fixing social policies, fixing education systems, those are big things that take a long time. And there's so much politics involved and the average person is saying, you know, what could I do? Where, where can I really dig in? And I can make a difference, an impactful difference that I could see. And, and you're such an incredible example of, of that, where you're actually working with underserved people, oftentimes people of color, single mothers. And I remember you telling the stories of how they come to your classes and they actually have to, you know, bring their children with them. And, and you're doing kind of education and a little bit of, of daycare with them as well. What's the most common money behavior affliction that you're seeing, that you're working with people? What's the big thing that, that you see so commonly that people struggle with? Well, the biggest, like I said, it's money. And it, it's one of our requirements to be participating in this job is that you have to be working. Um, and what I love hearing the single mom say after six or 12 months is like, I only have two jobs now, I only have one job now. And what a difference that makes. So our wages have stagnated. I mean, 40% of the workers in Omaha, the average 
wage of 40% of our workers is $10 and 19 cents an hour. So I don't care how much you budget. You're probably not going to make it. If you get a, 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 you can get a one bedroom apartment for $700, but that's about half your income at 1019. So, I mean, it, it just, the math, no matter how you work it. So it's just trying to help people figure out how to, to, to do cash flow, monthly cash flow management. And so by doing that, they can see where their money goes. So there's like the FINRA Foundation does a financial capability study every two years. And what they found is that 56% of the households in Nebraska are either living paycheck to paycheck or they have more expenses and they have income. And it's not because they're going to Tahiti or they're not going on wonderful vacations. It's just that what they make isn't enough. Um, Nebraska's number one in terms of the percentage of families who have four jobs. And I just, my daughter asked me to give me somebody a ride home from her work. She works at the library. And so um, this woman, between her and her husband, they have four jobs. And so they can't have kids yet because they have four jobs. So what we're trying to do is teach people about monthly cash flow. So if we can help them see where their money's going, then they know they have choices. So, you know, when you're talking about behavior change, it's really hard as human beings. It's really, really hard. I've known I needed to lose this, this 15 pounds for the last probably 25 years. And have I done it? No. Um, so I know what to do. I know the science. I know what they're saying. But to actually might do it, it's just not happening. You know, Julie, we've talked about this before, but please let's comment a little bit about this growing social stigmatism around money and the shame that's involved in people seeking help regarding money situations. And my favorite study that the Federal Reserve has ever done, and they deny this now, is that they ask Americans, would you rather talk about your personal sex life or would you rather talk about your money? And guess what? The more he's like, I'll tell you everything about my date last week, but do not ask me about my money because I'm just, I'm so bad with my money. There's so much shame. And I think for single moms, what we saw is they're so judged. And so when they come in, they already feel stupid about money and they already feel like it's their fault. And we're like, look, somebody making $10 an hour, nobody's making it. And when they come in, we say that first night of class. So we offer, you talked about children. The two biggest barriers to participation for single moms often are dinner and our food and child, our childcare um, and sometimes transportation. So we, what we do is we offer dinner and we offer childcare. So they come in, they relax, they have dinner with their kids. They learn about their kids day at school. Mom goes to class, the kids play. And, and then, you know, so many of the women say to me, Ed, and I, and I think this is for most Americans, they will even, I don't care what your income is. People say, I, I didn't know that. Uh, I, I didn't, I, I, nobody ever told me that. And I can't, you know, I think for so many of us, a lot of us people assume like, oh, people should know that. So we don't talk about it, but we don't talk about money in America. And because we don't talk about money, it increases the shame. It increases the guilt if you're not making it. So we've taken an economy who's the, the, the average wage for men at, since 1979 has been stagnant. So we've taken a systemic economic problem and we've turned it into an individual failing, an individual defect. And it's not, there's too many people not making it for it to be individual. Yeah, I agree with you there, Julie. So tell our listeners a little bit about the work that you do and very specifically, what are the things that you do with the people that come to your class? The first night of class, we give them a pencil case and say, hey, you know, every receipt, every dime you spent, put a receipt here in this pencil case. And when you're a single mom and you're really stressed and you might have another job and blah, 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 it's like, 
oh, pencil case, I can do that. I that's something we don't come back and say, hey, bring your your budget, bring us all last year's expense. Yeah, no, it's like just la- and like in about the, the second week class, we hold up the pencil cases, half are empty, um, and there's always one since 2009 has kept every receipt. Don't ask me, but there's always one, and it's wonderful. And then the ones that feel the most shame, they they look down and they're like. Um, I only have one or two. And we're like, okay, so how many did you save last year? How many receipts did you save last year? And they're like, well, none. And we're like, you got this. In one week, you've done more for your finances in one week than you did all last year. You got this. And all of a sudden they move from thinking, you know, it's my fault. I'm just stupid to thinking, well, well, maybe I, I can do this. And so just, we do small actionable steps week by week. It all builds on us stuff. We reinforce stuff. Um, and, and we laugh, we laugh and cry a lot in class. Um, and a lot of, this is one woman said, I'm so sorry that happened to you that just, but she said, I, I just thought I was the only person in the world that ever happened to, and I have felt so much shame and I'm not happy it happened to you, but at least know that this happens to other people. And maybe if we speak out about it, it won't keep happening. So, you know, stuff like that, where there, you build social support, you build an environment where they think they can succeed, where they, they see progress. And that's what it is as human beings. We need to see forward motion. And the other thing we do at is we just have people do very specific small goals. So the smart goals where they're smart, they're measurable, they're specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and attainable. So Julie, I understand that this work that you're doing recently led to a research grant. Could you tell us a little bit about that? We actually got a, a, a grant, a research grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation to do a clinical trial to test if our financial education, financial coaching model could actually improve the health outcomes of single moms. So we just, we do nine weeks of class, which is a long time, but then we also give a year of financial coaching because most of us didn't get into our financial problems the week before the class started, and you're not going to get out the week after class is over. But if you can work on them and you can develop a plan over a year and you see yourself moving forward, you know, that's what happens. It's just little inch by inch, row by row and success by success. And it just and it also encourages the folks we work with to take more risks. So and to ask for things like they didn't know they could ask their employers for certain things. And so such as, you know, my, my child has this thing at, it's, it was, it's once a semester, it's at two o'clock, could I have time off? They didn't know they could ask to do that. And so asking to do stuff, learning that you can ask, learning how to advocate for yourself is just really a, a big deal and feeling like you have more control. Um, it just, you sleep better at night. So we, unfortunately, because it's a, a clinical trial, we can't talk about the outcomes until they're uh, published in a, in a, a peer-reviewed peer journal. So that should, we've got three articles submitted. And we also did, Ed, we, I was curious because I said, we're going to be one of the few clinical trials that's going to have pre and post pandemic um, information. So let's get that data and see if there were any changes between the co- the intervention and the control cohorts, because the average age of the women in this study were, was 35, most of them had not developed any chronic diseases. But what we're going to do is we're going to track them over 20 years to see if it does indeed delay the onset of chronic diseases. So we did a baseline. There'll be a follow-up year one, two, three, four, and five. Then we're going to go to um, 10, 15, and 20 and just see 
Do they have delayed onset of high blood pressure or chronic diseases? And I don't know if you know this, but uh, two thirds of our Medicaid dollars go to nursing homes. And most people don't want to go to the nursing homes they're in. So if we can delay the onset and we're not sending poor people into nursing homes in their 50s because of congestive heart failure or amputations from diabetes, it's gonna save all of us a boatload of money, plus their quality of life is gonna be a whole lot better. So Julie, if you would take a look forward and tell us what you see coming on the horizon and specifically what your involvement might be at the Financial Hope Collaborative. There's gonna be a lot of systemic change. Are there ways that we can bring a lot of people, like I'm talking about intersectionality. So I'm seeing like with employers, when they do workplace financial education, it's good for their bottom line. Now, yes, you're giving people maybe an hour a week for six or nine weeks off to go to these classes, but guess what? You've got a more productive worker. They're probably going to start you know, doing more for their retirement. Their health is probably going to get better, so it could affect your health care premiums. Maybe they won't keep going up every year because your employees are healthier. Um, you know, and then... Uh, I remember Ron Blumkin when I was at United Way, I was talking about workplace financial education and he was just like jumping up and down. He said, oh my God, he said, this is brilliant. What you're talking about is worker loyalty. I help my staff. They're going to feel like, wow, this is a good place to work. They want to help me. So it's, it's who, who's not to win. So I think if we get employers working with us and with the healthcare systems. Um, and I, I just think there's a lot of ways that we can intersect. And when people are stressed out of their mind, they're more angry, they're more fearful, they're more anxious. And I, I think if we can mitigate that stress, I think we as Americans can come to have some really good adult conversations around wages, around race, around how to create systemic changes that, I mean, so I, I think these are discussions we've got to have, but if you're stressed out of your mind about your money, you're not going to be in a good position to do that. So you owe it to yourself. To, to talk to people. There are a lot of experts. There's tons of podcasts. There's tons of information. Almost every bank credit union has a different online program about how to manage your finances. Yeah, I agree. Clearly, there's a lot more sources and places for individuals to go get financial education and help these days, especially as we've seen expansion through banks and through employers, which I think has been great. You know, Julie, you talk about working through business, and I think you're a great example of one who has brought many different perspectives to the table in coming up with your conclusions and the work that you do. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that as well? You know, I was on the Consumer Financial Protection Board for a little bit um, until it changed direction. And then, um, but the thing that I saw at a couple of meetings is that we had people from all different walks of life. And that's how we made really good policy. It wasn't just the bankers and the insurance people or just the people that were community activists. It was all of us working together. And I'm saying, oh, I didn't realize about that regulation. Oh, that's why. So I think when you have everybody at the table, you have the voices and the people you're trying to help at the table, you come to much better decisions. So I just want to reiterate a few of the themes that I heard from, from your messaging and stories today that we've talked about in our prior podcast. Uh, number one is this concept of separating the knowing from the doing, knowing what to do and then actually changing and modifying the behavior to doing it really are two different things. And the doing is always harder um, than the knowing. You also talked about small successes and small changes and how a pattern of success could build on itself to become 
kind of this success mantra, if you will, you know, this attitude and mindset of success being so important. And, you know, the, the stress of money, you know, you've talked a lot about that and how it impacts behaviors, but it really does change lifestyle. And I think it, it illustrates for a lot of people that are listening to the podcast or have read the Money Mammoth book, that we really have the power to make these changes within ourselves and that you really can make significant impact your behaviors and your overall life and health and the relationships within your family just by getting a few basic changes and getting your financial house in order. And I think a lot of people are intimidated because finance is intimidating, money's intimidating, and not all of us have grown up and had good uh, money mentors, if you will, to help us know the correct improper behavior. So we need help either learning things or fixing things. If people wanted to become involved, uh, either in the Financial Hope Collaborative that you're running or possibly creating a model like this within their own communities, um, how could they find out more and contact you? Um, they can contact me at my name, Julie Kalkowski at Creighton.edu. Um, we have a website under the Hyder College of Business. Uh, one thing I, I want to make clear, we, we talked about health. Um, Creighton is very um, supportive in helping us in terms of providing office space. And um, we are Creighton employees, but all of the program expenses, all salary and benefits, I've got to raise that money. So um, I'm, you know, I'm, we're always looking for donations. But the other thing is we're also looking for some financial coaches. So we would ask people, we have a coach's training and we, we tell people the coach, is, the coach is not a police officer. They're not your mother. They're not a, a, a social service. They are your coach. And they're going to be there um, just to support you, but also to ask you me some hard questions because I don't know about you, but if I'm not accountable, I don't change my behavior. Yeah, you and I are both in agreement when it comes to taking financial accountability. In fact, in an earlier episode, Dr. Brad talked about that as being a common trait among highly successful individuals. Well, that's all the time we have for for this episode. I'd like to once again thank Julie Kalkowski, the Executive Director of the Financial Hope Collaborative at Creighton University. I will post Julie's contact information and a link to the Financial Hope Collaborative on our Money Mammoth podcast website. Thanks for all you do out there, Julie. You're doing amazing work. It's really making a difference at the grassroots level, and we appreciate everything you're doing. Thanks again for joining us today. Until next time, this is Dr. Red wishing you well with your money challenges and grateful you spent this time with us today. Cheers, everyone.